Hi, Mike Baxter here with Strategy Distilled for June 2023. And this month I want to talk about the difference between core values and what we care about. So having just published my book Core Values three months ago, my attention is easily grabbed by anything new on the subject of values. So Nur Eyal's post on 20 common values and why people can't agree more was an instant must-read for me, especially since, as the author of the excellent Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, Nira's writings are always well-considered and thought-provoking. The main point he makes in his post is that there is an important distinction between one's core values and the things we care about. To emphasise this point, he refers to survey results that fail to make this distinction. Indeed, they define core values as the things we care about. And as a result, they end up with core values such as freedom of speech, leisure and financial security. Now, these are not bad things, says Nair, but they're not core values. And he goes on to explain, what we care about changes every day, every minute even. And that's why it's hard to agree on a list of common values. When your kid is throwing a tantrum, you care about getting some peace and quiet. When you're stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic with an empty fuel tank, you care about whether there's a gas station nearby. But these things are not your values. He then suggests that values are more forward-thinking than simply reactions to the immediate moment. They are attributes of the person you want to be. He then proposes a simple test. If someone can take it away from you, then it's not one of your values. This is great stuff. Deep insight with a practical way to apply it. There's only one problem. Having read and reread his post, I've ended up questioning both of his main points. And here's why. His first point what we care about changes every day, but these things are not your values. Well, of course, some of what we care about changes every day, but not all of it. Some of what I care about is enduring. When I was a kid, I had boundless curiosity to explore new ideas, new ways of seeing the world, and delving deep into things I didn't understand or didn't agree with. Decades later, this hasn't changed. Indeed, I would say that the things I value in an enduring way are a great way to define my core values. It's their very endurance over a prolonged period in the past that makes it useful for me to recognise them as my core values, because they're likely to continue to shape my perceptions, my decisions and my actions into the future. Conversely, but also challenging this point of nerves, our core values can also change in a short period of time. For example, as a result of a profound event in our lives, the birth of a child, the loss of a loved one, surviving a threat to life or simply gaining new knowledge could all lead us to reassess our core values at a deep level, whether it be finding spirituality, committing to altruism or sustainability, or being more or less risk-averse. The fact that core values can be changed by profound life experiences seems to be another of their defining features. 
Now, a second point is his test. If somebody can take it away from you, then it's not one of your values. His test suggests that values are immutable, that they can't be taken away from you, unlike things we value. Now, while the ability to express your values may be taken away from you, the value itself, it seems to me, cannot. If you're in prison, you can still value freedom. If you're in a recession, you can still value financial security. Indeed, part of the reason we have core values is to remind us to continue making progress towards a better version of ourselves that either we haven't yet achieved or haven't managed to maintain consistently. As Schwartz wrote in 1994, a core value is a belief that pertains to desirable end states or modes of conduct that transcend specific situations. Given that a value is a principle or belief that guides your decisions and actions, and this is taken from my core values book on page 8, by this definition, your values exist inside your head. The only way to lose a value is if you yourself change your mind. This is not a value being taken from me. So, Nur Ayal's post is truly thought-provoking. It's prompted me to think more deeply about different aspects of core values than I had previously. And at the end of it, I've come to a different definition of core values. Core values seem to me to be a recognition of things we value deeply in, in an enduring way, or as a result of profound life experiences. And finally, it's worth noting that Nur Ayal's post focuses on the core values we have as individuals. The core values I wrote about in my book are the organisational core values that shape strategy. The main points above, however, relate in my view to both, and in part three of the book I discuss in some detail how to move from the values of individuals within an organisation to a set of explicit organisational values. Finally, a strategy snippet you might have missed. Strategy equals insights to the power of conviction. John Cutler published a post a couple of weeks back with an intriguing title, proposing that strategy equals insights raised to the power of the convictions with which you hold these insights. Whilst that title made me pause and contemplate for several minutes, insights to the power of conviction not just insights plus conviction. He went on to suggest nine reasons, paraphrased below, why your strategy is not as simple or as obvious as it might seem to others. This, I thought, was a fascinating counterpoint to the pressure that exists in many organisations to have a strategy that is different or distinctive from everyone else's. Maybe, as John Cutler implies, it would be better to have a strategy that seems simple and obvious, but recognise using these nine arguments below, that it's actually not nearly as simple or obvious as it might first appear. Number one, we have unique insights that led us to this strategy. Number two, it may look simple or obvious to you, but it's plotting a new course for us, and we have conviction that this is the right course for us. Our strategy may seem obvious, but it will probably still be really hard. We will develop our own unique twist on how we get it done. Tooling, capabilities, partnerships, etc. Number five, our timing and sequencing will be unique. 
We'll do it earlier or later than expected. Number six, different elements of our strategy will interact and support each other. Number seven, it is our existing strengths that make the seemingly obvious thing possible. Number eight, emerging trends transform the expected into something more impactful and relevant. Number nine, we said no to a whole bunch of interesting possibilities to clear the way for this one strategic direction. And related to John Cutler's title above, David Perrell writes that strategies for success are power laws. And both seem to be suggesting the exponential impact that strategy can have on an organisation. Interesting. And just one final thing before I sign off for this month. You may have noticed that I have produced an 88-page compilation of all the best bits of Strategy Distilled, and that's available free to all subscribers. So if you think that any friends or colleagues would be interested in this compilation, um, then let them know to sign up at golatlas.com slash sign up. That's it. Until next month.